Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park That's right, folks. We were gone for a minute, but we are back. Welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. What up? Uh, we had to take last week off. I had a, a bit of a trip planned in advance, and you know we weren't able to uh, get an episode out before I had to leave. Went yeah, to- man, you didn't even tell me you were leaving. I forgot. I fucking came here, knocked on the door in the pouring rain, and you didn't. You weren't even here. Well, that is because I told my mother specifically that if that man comes to my house when I'm not home, don't cut any lights on and just pretend <laughs> like we're not home. He's not allowed in my house when I'm not here. Um, so I want you to take that completely personal because that's why I did it. Whatever. Um, I Maybe went. Maybe here. Hey, you know, I got to keep you on your toes, man. Uh, I uh, had a beach trip planned with my girlfriend and her friends. It was very uh, movie-esque, mm-hmm. very uh, white romantic comedy-esque i was the only black person uh i learned a lot about sunburn over the weekend not personally but just from them explaining to me mm-hmm. how sunburn works um which then fell apart completely because even they don't understand sunburn so first thing i've i learned also which i kind of had a hint about but ex- experienced it firsthand with like eight white people white people love the beach it is um <laughs> it's just their favorite thing to do man uh for me the beach is like it's kind of like going to the pool. Mm-hmm. It's like you go, you get in the water for an, you know, thirty minutes, maybe eat a sandwich, mm-hmm. eat some snacks and stuff. Two hours, boom, bam, I'm done. The beach has been experienced. Right. Good job. We all did it. High fives. White people can stay on the beach from like ten a.m. to six thirty at Jeez. night. Well, like, like tanning and just laying out. They just love the sun being on their skin and laying, falling asleep on the beach. But one thing I say. The white people love the beach and the sun. The sun does not love them. Oh, no. It just doesn't have to put on all kind of creams and ointments and oils. Uh, Sierra, we got the we got to the beach. It was Bethany Beach in Delaware. We got there at like 5, maybe 4 o'clock. Mm. You know, they explained to me while they're putting on their sunscreen, like, yeah, we're just putting this on for precautionary reasons because, you know, after like 2 o'clock, the sun is no longer at its hottest point. So it's just kind of nice out, and it's cloudy, so we don't have to really hurt, worry about anything, but it's just good to be safe. I'm like, all right, good to know. Well, mm-hmm. you guys sound pretty well-versed in, like, how sunburn works and everything. So, yeah, well, that's cool. We were there for, like, two hours. We get up, the back of Sierra's legs 
look like uncooked hot dogs. Ew. They are as pink, like glowing. I was like, uh, is you, are you, are you okay? <laughs> and she's like, oh, damn, I got sunburned. What? I was like, <laughs> you just spent both, I mean, like four white people just spent time in a circle around me explaining to me how uh-huh. sunburn works and everything that they said was wrong. Wait, so she didn't know? Like, No, she was like, she, it was a surprise to her. And then she—that's like if you were like to leave out and if you got your keys in the house, it's like, oh damn, I forgot. I mean, I mean, that's how she reacted. She was like, I I guess like it gets worse later because I still don't really understand. But she Uh was like, it's gonna burn later or something to that extent. She said like, right right now I I can see that it it I burned, but the pain of the burn is not yet. It comes later. Okay, I understand now. But this would be something similar to if LeBron James, who you know, great season. Before I get into my analogy, great season to LeBron James. The Golden State Warriors, shocker, are world champions Fuck once him. again, and, and, and it's ridiculous. Anyway, um, it would be like if LeBron James spent 45 minutes with me at his summer camp explaining to me how you shoot a certain way, lay the ball up off the glass with the left hand. When you shoot with your left hand, you got to put your left leg up or however that you play mm-hmm. basketball. And he explained all that to me, and then he went out and did all the things that he just told me and didn't make anything. <laughs> I mean, they spent 30 to 45 minutes. We, yeah, well, you know, you put sunscreen on, SPF, such and such. And then if you lay here and then, uh, you know, usually you got to know your body. So I know that if I am overexposed for like two hours, they had all kind of mathematical calculations and everything. And then with after all that conversation was said and done, she burned. Wow. So I was like, oh, you're then you don't know. Then you don't know. And it's all a lie. That and just maybe- means... You're on the beach too long. Yeah. You know, how about <laughs> cut it short? Let's just go for two hours. Right. You know, you can throw the football around, jump in the sand. I was about <laughs> to say, did you guys, like, play football, volleyball? We did anything? the second day. The first day, they just wanted to lay there oh. and eat snacks. They really just liked to be in on laying on the sand. What was it, like, 80 degrees? 80? Yeah. It wasn't even that hot. Oh. So I really don't understand how sunburn <laughs> works. I was like, it's, like, overcast. Wow. But, yeah, so that's what I spent uh, my last weekend doing. And while we weren't able to get an episode out, we apologized profusely. Um, it, 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 I'm not going to say it'll never happen again. That's a very confident thing to say. Um, but since uh, our hiatus, some things have happened. I want to give a quick rest in peace to uh, a man who had the best job or one of the best jobs to this day that if I ever got an opportunity to do so, I would absolutely would love to just do what he did for his life. Anthony Bourdain. Uh, he had a show called Parts Unknown. He worked for CNN. He was kind of like a food journalist. He would go around the world and introduce people to new foods, and he would try new foods and use food as a way to uh, understand people's cultures. Uh, he um, took his life, um, I believe, Thursday or Wednesday at 61 years old. I mean, when I say he had the best job in the world, his, jo- his job was essentially is that a company would pay him money to fly him to another country, and then he would eat food in that country and explain to you how delicious the food is. Mm. So rest in peace to Anthony Bourdain. You know, um, you never know what people are going through. You know, um, I, I I would think Anthony Bourdain would be the happiest person in the world. He, he's always eating food. He uses big words. Um, you know, <laughs> just those those are... I wish I could do that. Yeah, you know, so... But, cool. and yet this man took his own life. So you never know. You know, you yeah. never know. It, people. You look from the outside, his life looks great, but he was clearly battling some demons and... You know, I hope he was able to find peace in what he did. So rest in peace to Anthony Bourdain. Uh, but one of the things that I'm most excited about coming up this week on Tuesday is Donald Trump is going to uh, this summit in Singapore uh, to meet with Kim Jong-un, the the leader of North Korea. Mm-hmm. 
and it has been I don't know if it's been confirmed, but I from a lot of the sources and news reports I've read, Dennis Rodman will be in attendance at this G seven summit. Why? Because him and him and Kim Jong un are like this. I've heard, yeah. I have my fingers crossed for people don't know when they're tight like this. They bang with each other, they're big time homies. I don't know if uh Donald Trump personally invited Dennis Rodman or Kim Jong-un maybe wanted him to be there. But I think it would be hilarious if Dennis Rodman is the person to broker peace between North Korea and the United States. I just think it would be something be so hilarious about that. Have you heard Dennis Rodman get interviewed before? Mm. Okay. It is, it is, oh my God. He is, when I say it's the funniest thing in the world, cause he's an alcoholic. I don't know if he's in recovery, but he is, uh, and just years of just being wild and weird has done something weird to his voice. Um, I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping the summit goes a little bit like this. Good afternoon, people of Sangrita. Uh, I just want to say, beautiful crowds, probably the biggest crowd every summit has ever seen any summit ever. Uh, I want to say thank you to Kim Jong Un for meeting with me. I want to give a big shout out to Dennis Rodman to my left. And uh, thank you for coming out and showing great support. I'm going to let him get a few words in. Uh, please listen up. NBA champion, folks. A winner in a, in, a, in a league that does not kneel. Never seen an NBA player kneel. Never seen Dennis Rodman kneel. He loves his country. Great guy. Everybody, round of applause. Give it up for Dennis Rodman. Thank you, uh, President Donald Trump. Um, I just want to say uh, uh, got much, much love to uh, everybody out there. Uh, I want to say, um, listen, uh, Kim Kim Jong, uh, he's a good listen. He's a he's a good man, okay. Um, and uh, Donald Trump, you don't y'all don't understand. I I I did I did a lot of cocaine with him in the nineties. We was he was with us in that whole Chicago Bulls run. It was a great run. Um, listen, I went to North Korea with Kim Jong, and uh. It was a great time. No, just listen, listen, step back, step back. Let me finish what I'm saying. Okay, so listen, Kim Jong, we just need to find peace, okay? Because we need to love, every. everybody needs to love everybody. And that's the goddamn, is what I'm trying to say. Everybody needs to listen to everybody and just love and uh, listen and love everybody. Because listen, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, listen, that's my nigga, okay? That's my, oh, don't, don't take the mic away from me. Get, give me the damn mic, hey! And sounds, then he gets, and then he gets carried away. And, sounds like you know, Beavis and Butthead. That's what he sounds like. Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like something. That dude, he sounds scary to he me. He still got piercings and shit all on his lips. Oh yeah, he looks like a goddamn crazy person. <laughs> I can't wait. I hope they, I hope it's live. I hope they let him get five minutes to talk. It is, uh, it will be very exciting. So I'm really very much looking forward that's to insane. that. I know, like he like sent him a letter, like he like sent Trump a letter, like a big letter. Or yeah, something, it was it was it comically like... big. It looked like a. a, a wait, did you post that? Him. Did I no, say I don't think so. I, I mean, must tell on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. It was comically big. I thought it was photoshopped at first. <laughs> it genuinely was a it looked like a small flat screen TV he was holding. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh so that's going to be I'm sure that, that whole summit and this whole we are recording on a Sunday between now and Tuesday I'm sure a lot of hilarious moments will happen, a lot of great Twitter moments. Donald Trump might fall down some steps, hmm. walk into the wrong room. Dennis Rodman might curse out a journalist of something, you know, who knows what Kim Jong-un does. He does look like a baby panda. So just him being adorable in the ways that he is, those things may occur. But um, we aren't political experts here, so I don't really know what the you know inner workings of the summit are, nor do I really care. Because, you know, if a nuke's coming, 
you know, what am I going to do to stop that? You know, so I, I don't stress. I don't stress about it. I just live my life, and you know, whatever happens, happens. Hope it know? works out well, though. Exactly. Right? That dude, that both of them are insane. But that's that the craziest insane. part about it. Is like they're both crazy. Right. So you know, we'll see what happens. You know, and uh, but on that note, let's try to uh, not even go down and get dark and think about <laughs> the state of our country. Let's get into some good vibes, guys. That's right, folks. We're back with another segment of Good Vibes to throw you guys some positive waves of energy before we delve into the darkness that is in the world. So, Fran, uh, uh, um, as far as I know, you've uh, found uh, some good vibes for us this week. So if you don't mind, like, let's, you know, give me that energy, man. Let me hit me with those waves, bro. All right, my Good Vibes story uh, this week is about Judy Perkins. Judy Perkins. So for the first time in world history, a woman with advanced stage breast cancer was cured thanks to an experimental new therapy. Wow. So Judy Perkins, a 52-year-old engineer, mother of two from Florida, was given three months to to life after several rounds of chemotherapy chemotherapy failed to keep the cancer from spreading to the rest of her body. Mm. She said, quote, my condition deteriorated a a lot towards the end. I had a tumor pressing on a nerve, which meant I spent my time trying not to move at all to avoid pain shooting down my arm. Mm. And she said that she, quote, had given given up fighting. She was then enrolled in the U.S. National Cancer Institution for a new kind of immune, immune therapy. Immune therapy? Immune therapy? Yeah. Uh, the treatment used a process called adaptive cell transfer to remove one of the tumors from Perkins' body and located all the friendly T cells that were still able to recognize harmful cancer cells. <clears throat> Once the T cells were identified, they were extracted and multiplied until the scientists had an army of 90 billion cancer-fighting cells which they were then able to inject back into Perkins. So they just overloaded her body with defense. Yep. Wow. Yep. Wow. Um, That's an interesting. Yeah, wow. Within weeks, Perkins literally felt her tumor shrinking. She even celebrated by going on a 40-mile hike, and now two years after the treatment, she is still she is still cancer-free. She said, quote, I was very skeptical. 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 Oh, you got it. <laughs> skeptical <laughs> about whether this treatment will work before because I knew the odds were not really great. But within two weeks, I could feel the tumor in my chest in my chest wall shrinking, and I started to feel better. Wow. That's crazy. That's very crazy. And I feel like I feel like anybody at that point would take that risk, because I would. Yeah, I mean, it's like, the even if the odds aren't likely, the odds of you dying are extremely high. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what do you have to lose? Yeah. Uh, this does sound... I'm very happy for her, but this sounds very expensive. You know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah. as far as well, being able to apply it to, because cancer is a motherfucker, mm-hmm. man. Like, there's so many cancer deaths every year. I hope that this, I mean, it sounds like an amazing treatment. I hope that it is something that the masses will be able to give an experiment to, you know? Yeah. It, it does sound, it sounds very interesting. But and as far as the experiment, you think it might have been like, would you let She's us try? not the would best you... example. Like it worked on her. It might well, I'm saying her. if uh, since it's an experiment, would you let us try this on you? Kind of, kind of deal. It might have been that. Yeah, like it's not even ready to go right. yet. Yeah, it might have been that. Yeah. So she she said, "quote It feels miraculous, and I am beyond amazed that I have now been cancer free for two years. That is amazing. Very amazing. Um, I've lost I've lost several family members to cancer. Yeah. So, um, anything that's going in the direction, I hope." Um, uh, it, um, it sounds like all this money that these cancer research companies are 
you know, collecting from people. It's insane. It's starting to, you know, they're starting to make progress because um, it's a terrible disease. It's a painful disease. Mm-hmm. It it affects more than just the person. As much as it affects the person <laughs> awfully, like it to see somebody that you love go through the stuff that those people go through. And then chemotherapy is awful. You know, it yeah. really makes them sick and they're not the same person anymore. So if there's a, you know, a new treatment on the horizon that isn't as painful and, and terrible as chemotherapy, I'm all for it, you know. Yeah. I really highly recommend, you know, and if, and if you got a couple of dollars to spare, go, you know, donate to a cancer research um, fund, you know, if, if you can. Because it, it, it really is, it's a, it's, it's a problem that is, is, is pretty um, terrible. But yeah. that's awesome, though. Judy Judy. I wasn't Perkins. done. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. She, she also added that experts may call it a, an extended remission, but I, I call it a cure. And I thought this part was, was pretty cool. The researchers in Maryland are currently working on, working on launching a full-scale clinical tri- tri- trials mm-hmm. for the Im- immune therapy treatment to be used in other kinds of advanced cancer cases, including prostate and over. Ovarian, ovarian, yeah. prostate. Uh, actually, I lost my grandmother, my grandfather to prostate cancer. Mm. Though they, prostate, yeah, I lost my grandfather, and my dad had prostate cancer, but he got he he caught it early. So which Rogers is awesome. And based on that, I got to make sure I fucking yeah, get keep on an eye on that. Yeah, get on that. Um, though they though they cautioned that the procedure only has been tested and proved successful. And one woman, they said that it could be a smart. It could be the start of a revolution in life-saving cancer treatments. Yeah. So I thought that was cool that they actually doing this in our home, our home uh, state. Yeah. Well, Johns Hopkins think... is um a, like a conglomerate. It is. Oh yes. A major uh yeah. um, hospital. So yeah. I'm not I'm not surprised at all. I think they have a pretty like um big cancer research facility. That's kind of like what they're starting to become a specialist in. Besides the um the neurology, they have a yeah. pretty big neurology I, department. The thing about you, since you brought that up, I was listening to um. The podcast Road Tripping, uh-huh. which is the Richard Jefferson and then Shannon Fry, right? Yeah. And then they had uh, Jeff Green on as a guest, who was part, who was a team member on the Cavaliers. I mean, he you just had, put that in quotes. Yeah, he just had a team member in quotes. He just had, <laughs> he just had, he had, um, I think like a year. He had ago, open he had heart surgery. Open heart right? surgery. Yeah. And then it was like, <clears throat> and then like, I think Shannon Fry had something similar. No, George Jefferson almost had something similar. That, but it wasn't as bad. Oh. And he was like. He was like, yeah, um, you ever been to uh, Johns Hopkins? He's like, yeah, that's where I had to go. He was like, man, that that's a good hospital, but the area is just, I don't even know why they put a hospital there. I was dying. Like, like when you hear stuff like that that you can, like, yeah, picture you and you've know, been there, you, you know, see, yeah. I was dying. Like, it was yeah. so funny. It's like when you watch the, it's like when you watch the Wire. Like, I was having a conversation with somebody about this on my trip I was on about how even if you, like, if you go to California, like, when I first started watching the Wire when it first came out, I was like, this must just be, I know it's a hit show, but it must just be kind of like a local hit show because you watch the show and you know the streets mm-hmm. and you know the, the 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 slang and all that kind of stuff. But then if I've been like I've been in California and somebody, I tell them I'm from Baltimore and they look at me crazy and bring up the wire and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Like it doesn't matter if you know, you still think, you still think uh, the show is great. But when you talk about it, when somebody from not from Baltimore just is here and they're here for like heart surgery and in that time they're able to go like oh this neighborhood's <laughs> this neighborhood's bad it was so funny. you know i think that's pretty funny that he's able to notice <laughs> that even with all the stressful things going on it's not hard to notice it is a very uh rough area around right. johns hopkins i mean 
There's people like panhandling so and yeah, bums walking hilarious. around. But the the hospital itself is huge, yeah. and they keep buying up land yeah. around the city and keep pushing the city further and further away from itself. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, shout out to Jeff Green. Yeah, um, you funny. were pretty useless in the finals, but you're a good guy. You got your heart thing taken care of, and you know, uh, good for you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move on because I don't want to talk about Jeff Green anymore because I hate him. <laughs> and I hate everybody that was on that team. Uh, I want to. Jasmine. Oh, God. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, so I want to talk about a young lady named Allison Kloss. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Allison Kloss couldn't find a date to her prom, she decided to do what any modern woman would do by a cardboard cutout of Danny DeVito. The 17-year-old had considered looking into other cardboard celebrity dates, such as Bill Nye the Science Guy, but they were already too expensive. Uh, She was pleasantly surprised, however, when she found that there was a plethora of Danny DeVito cutouts on Amazon for only $100. (laughs) When the day of the dance arrived, Allison dressed her date in a tie and a dress jacket. Then, to ensure that uh, he could properly escort her across the dance floor, she duct-taped the cutout to a little scooter. She pulled alongside. Uh, she pulled along beside her using a leash. So she had. She brought a leashed cardboard cutout of Danny DeVito That's on nice. wheels to her prom. Uh, Allison wasn't the only one who enjoyed the celebrity appearance either. According to uh, a Carlisle, Pennsylvania team, which is where she's from, DeVito's cutout was the hit of the party. Uh, making things work with a human date can be so exhausting. She jokingly told the New York Post, "Danny's not like that." He just goes with the flow. We never argue, never fight. <laughs> Plus, he treats me the way a woman should be treated. Shout out to cardboard cutout Danny DeVito. We should all be a little bit like a cardboard cutout Danny DeVito. Women deserve it. Uh, but Allison's night didn't go just didn't wait. Allison's date night doesn't just end there. As news outlets shared her amusing prom photos on social media, they eventually reached the cast of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh. The hit television show on which De- uh, DeVito stars, which is hands down the most underrated television show to ever be on TV ever. Yep. The show has been on for 11 seasons. Every season's funny. The whole cast is funny. They push the lines of what is appropriate to talk about on television, but they don't do it in a uh, disrespectful way. Mm-hmm. I've seen them do blackface tastefully before, which I didn't even think was possible after that whole Drake debacle. <laughs> Everybody whipped Drake's ass for being in blackface or whatever. I've seen, I saw Always Sunny in Philadelphia do blackface like six years ago, mm. and it wasn't on Fox News and on CNN, and the show didn't get canceled because they know how to, you got to be able to toe the line. And if it's funny, it's funny. Right. If you do it in a way that's just meant to be offensive, obviously the intent is going to be stronger than the action, you know? Mm. But if you do it in a way that, Look, there's no mean or malice meant by this. It's only meant to be funny. I think people will let you slide a bit more, especially me. I mean, I'm not like super righteous black man, like you know. Uh, but I, I'm can I can get offended, mm-hmm. you know. That show has never offended me. No. It's made me think. It's made me laugh. Such an underrated show. Well, some of the stuff is like, damn. So they do, sometimes they do push it a little bit. It's oh, like, yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, for sure. But I'm never like, I'm never watching right, the show. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, know? right, right. Uh, 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 Rob, Rob McElhenney, I never knew how to say his name, but he mm-hmm. plays Mac on the show, mm-hmm. uh, who is DeVito's com- uh, comedic co-star, then posted a photo of Allison's 72-year-old date. Oh, damn, he's that old? Damn. Everybody appreciate Danny DeVito. I'm going to take yeah. a second. Everybody appreciate Danny DeVito 
while we still have him. I didn't know he was that old. Um, wow, 72. Everybody appreciate Danny DeVito while you still can. Go watch Always Sunny, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Matilda, great one. Danny DeVito is uh, a legend. And let's don't be one of those people that when he when he passes, hopefully a, while, a long time from now, then y'all want to show him love. Nah. Let's show Danny DeVito love Frank, now. Frank is my guy. Say, De- say Frank is my oh, guy. Oh, Frank De- Reynolds is a legend. Let's show Danny DeVito the love he deserves now while he's still with us. And, What's that uh, movie he was in with Jewelry? What movie was that? Jury? First of all, I have so much jewelry. I got more jewelry. And it's not even about the jewelry. Because, you know. Jewelry. You know, what is jewelry? Yeah. What is you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the you day. Is, at the end of the day. He was, like, he was like stealing jewelry from people. Or somebody stole jewelry from him. It was like. It was like. Who was that movie? Chris. Uh, damn. What movie was that? I don't know this I'll one. look it up. Go ahead. <laughs> stealing jewelry. Man, I don't know that one. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, so Mac, I'm gonna call him Mac because I can't say his last name very well. Mac posted up a photo of Allison's 72 year old date with a cardboard cutout of herself standing on the set of the show. So they were able to find a photo of Allison Kloss, cut it out, made a cardboard cutout of it, and 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 Danny DeVito took a picture at Patty's Pub with a cardboard cutout of her. Yep. Um, so uh, in the Instagram caption, Mac wrote, Hey, Allison, I heard you took a cardboard Danny to prom. What a coincidence. He took a cardboard Allison to Patty's. Uh, as an inspiring filmmaker, Allison says she was flabbergasted. That is a very Caucasian word. Um, which just means shocked. But I would have just said shocked. That's, oh, that's just, that word just does not. That's the most swaggerless word, I think, ever in the dictionary. Uh, but, yeah, so she was flabbergasted by the gesture uh, it feels so incredible to be acknowledged by these big name Hollywood actors. I feel more honored and lucky now more than ever. Allison wrote, uh, I am extremely flattered, uh, and can't thank the cast of always sunny enough. I thought that that was very cool. Yeah. I seen that. I actually seen that on Twitter. I, I did see that. Yeah. I Twitter thought, cool. I thought that was just a very, just cool way to, a cool way to use your celebrity, a small gesture for you that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And will somebody will talk about for the rest of their mm-hmm. lives, you know? Um, so big time shout out to Danny DeVito once again. Another big time shout out to Always Sunny in Philadelphia. If you haven't watched the show, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, you definitely. know, like it's it a hilarious show. Um, so definitely big time shout yeah. out to Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And the movie I was talking about was What's the Worst That Can Happen with Martin I, Lawrence. You never seen that movie? Mm, I'm sure I have. I'm sure but you have too. I, I, but it didn't stick with me. Oh, okay. Uh, definitely it, on the list he of Danny DeVito accomplishments. Yeah, watch, watch What's the Worst That Can Happen last. <laughs> he has a shitload of movies. I can't give you a positive recommendation. Even Space Jam. Uh, you got me on that one. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> fucking guy was the Space Jam, yeah, man. Yeah, Danny DeVito's the man. Um, all right, folks. So we're gonna take a quick break. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna leave you with a little candy by Cameo. Uh, we're gonna do a little throwback. So uh, enjoy this classic. And when we come back, we're gonna tell you some fucked up shit. So stay tuned. All right, folks, and we are back. Uh, Fran, I do not know whose turn it is to go first. Therefore, I challenge you to a quick round of Rochambeau uh, to dictate who will be the person that kicks off this episode. Do you accept my challenge? Sure. Okay. All right. Are you prepared? Yeah. Wait, is Rochambeau like Rock, Paper, Scissors? Yes. Oh, okay. God. I'm such a hillbilly. <laughs> uh, on, on what? On three or after three? On four. On, on four. On one, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three, shoot. Shoot. 
Okay. Okay, ready? Right. What is this? One? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, shoot. Oh. Fran has so scissors. I mean, I, can, I, I, mean I can choose, right? Sure. You go first. All right. That's fine. Oh, yeah. Fran remains uh, victorious in Rochambeau. I or as, know. Or as broke boys call it, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. All right. Let me get my story up and running. Boom, boom, All right. Boom. Stuck in my head now. That's that's jam. <laughs> Real fine. Candy. All right. Uh, so this story actually um, was a rough one for me to get through. It's not very gruesome, but just um, I related to it very much. So um, it was it was a rough one, but um, I felt like it felt it felt uh, timely, even though um, I've said very several times on this podcast um, that we will not talk about gang violence. Um, uh, came across this story and. Uh, I felt like I, I wanted to tell it because it's crazy how even though this story is 20 over 20 years old it is so relevant and timely that I felt like I had to say, I had to tell the story so this is the story of Robert Yummy Sandifer <clears throat> standing at four foot six 11 year old Robert Sandifer earned the nickname Yummy because of his love for cookies his old bedroom in his grandmother's house looked like your average Chicago child's bedroom. Posters of Michael Jordan and Disney characters hung on the wall. But Yummy was anything other than your average child. Born in 1983, his mother, Lorena, was arrested over 30 times for prostituting, and his father spent most of Yummy's short, li- short life behind bars for various drug and weapons charges. Before the age of two, he was already known to the Department of, child- of Children and Family Services His body was often riddled in cigarette burns as well as bruises. At just 22 months old, he was brought into the hospital with scratches and bruises. On one occasion, his sister came to the emergency room with burns on her genitals. Mm. Lorena claimed she had fallen on the radiator, something the nurse said was impossible due to the severity and position of the injuries. So this is just, this is how Yummy came into the world. Mm -hmm. This is all he's known for his entire life is just violence and neglect and uh, pain. Who told her to say that lie? Her parents? Well, she said it. Oh, her, I mean, the kid the, was young, so she just made up an excuse that? for oh, the. But thought, the, all the nurses somebody, were oh, okay. all the nurses were like, mm, no, that just isn't what That's happened. Right. Yeah. When Yummy was just three years old, he and his six siblings were removed from his drug addicted mother and sent to live with their grandmother. By the age of eight, Yummy had given up on school and resorted to a life of crime. He soon began to steal cars and break into houses. Neighbors in the black working-class neighborhood called, Rose, called Roseland still remember the day Janie Fields moved into a two-story, three-bedroom house with her brood. Nearly all her 10 children and 30 grandchildren lived with her at one time or another. It always falls on the grandparents, man. It's, you know, in, in these situations, like, uh, you, you fuck up. That's not fair. It really is not. They did their job. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know... Tell that to if you're the next of kin, what do you do? You know, I mean, some people do do it. Just go, well, no, we'll send, put them in the system. You know, um, they are dirty and noisy and they are ruining the neighborhood, complained a neighbor. Residents launched an unsuccessful petition drive to force the force fields out of the neighborhood. Wow. All those kids are little troublemakers, said Carl McClinton, age 23, who lived down the street. 
He also said, this is the kind of neighborhood where we all look after each other's kids, but they are a rougher breed. Mm. During his life, he was charged, during his life, he, as in Yummy, was charged with 23 felonies and five misdemeanors, but due to his young age, he never got more than a slap on the wrist. It's no surprise that after running away, Yummy joined a gang, the Black Disciples. He was... He was the he was the kind of kid who didn't didn't have love at home. If he did, he wouldn't have joined a gang. Said one of his friends. Twenty three felonies. Twenty three felonies Dang. and five misdemeanors at under thirteen years old. That's crazy. During a psychiatric evalu- evaluation, he was described as emotionally flooded. The report followed. The report followed his his response to the flooding is to back away from demanding situations and act out impulsively and unpredictably. During the evaluation, Yummy was asked to finish the following sentence. I am very, to which he replied, sick. The examiner described young Yummy, which is a great rap name, as a child (laughs) full of hate, full of self-hate and loneliness. For a child to describe himself as sick, or I am very sick, when he doesn't show any symptoms of actually being sick, um, is very troubling to mm-hmm. me. Uh, I these inner city kids, and this goes into the. There's more to the story, but um, I I have a cousin who is in jail now. He will never see the light of day again for a murder case. Uh, his name is Chauncey, and not only does he look so much like this kid, you know, how you have a maybe you have a cousin that you haven't you hung out with a lot as a kid, mm-hmm. and maybe you don't see him as much now. So in my mind, he is always. 13 mm-hmm. and he looks exactly like this kid and Chauncey would run the streets and get in trouble and nobody would be able to rein him back in. Um, and we're, we live in Baltimore. Mm. So thousands of miles away and 20 years ago, there was another kid going through the same exact things that my cousin was going through a little harder. Cause he wasn't, his mother wasn't abusive. Mm-hmm. He just kind of didn't have a father and nobody to, rein them in and give them discipline and everything like that so the 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 thing that i found crazy was all these stories of you know this violence and these kids in chicago attacking everybody and those kind of stuff and it's happening here in baltimore as well that starts to sound systemic when you talk about how nobody in baltimore knows anybody in chicago and yet every major city across this country has a ghetto and every ghetto you know, you can talk about you go to L.A. and they have palm trees or you go here and their houses look like this or you go here and they have a lake or they have a beach and all this kind of stuff. But every ghetto in every city across America, it's the exact same circumstances. And I just think that that that's so that that doesn't seem like an accident, you know, that I could go every every bad neighborhood and every city across the street has a Martin Luther King Boulevard. Martin Luther King Boulevard is always in the worst neighborhoods, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, just the type of kids, the type of circumstances, the type of difficulties that they go through are all very much the same. It's all the same kind of hurdles that they have to get over from the, from the 80s to now. It's been exactly the same thing. No matter what city you live in, if you come from these poor environments, it's just it's kind of the same situation. And I just I just something about that just fascinates me. And it's not it's not because it's all black people. It just so happens that all all the people who are in or most of the people that are in these circumstances are black. Mm. And I don't think that's a coincidence, but I'm going to continue with my story. Um, 
In June of 1994, Yummy was removed from his grandmother's house and sent to a DCFS juvenile shelter after being caught driving a stolen car. DCFS recommended that he be placed in a long-term facility out of the state because Illinois had a no had no facilities to handle youths of his age. So he was so bad, but because of his age, nobody knew what to do with him. That's crazy. You know, it's like, yeah, he stole a car. Yeah, he had a gun on him, but, I mean, we can't send him to big guy's jail. We can't send him to teenager jail because he's not a teenager either. So, you know, they would always just have to end up sending him back home. Uh a judge denied a family services request to temporarily hold him in a juvenile center, which holds older offenders, and sent him back to live with his grandmother. On August 28, 1994, when Yummy was just 11 years old, he was ordered to take out a hit. He opened fire on a group of youths, accidentally killing 14-year-old Siobhan Dean, just 10 yards from her Southside home. He had been attempting to kill a rival gang member by spraying bullets across the street. There were numerous witnesses who could name the gunman as 11-year-old Yummy, which I'm sure wasn't whole. 11 years I'm old. I'm sure it wasn't hard because he was 11 years old. So, every, you know everybody in your neighborhood, you see somebody spray off a gun and he's four foot six. Who's teaching this man to shoot a gun? The, the black disciples. The gang that he was That's in. That's crazy. It gets crazier. The crazier part to me is what happens next. So, um... So he accidentally shot, he accidentally shot, what do they call that? It's called a bystander, bystander but right. like she wasn't, this girl wasn't in the life at all. She was just an innocent person. She wasn't affiliated or anything. She was just a, vic, a victim of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, so she was an innocent bystander. Thing, yeah. yeah, she was an innocent bystander. Uh, this enraged the gang, who saw his actions as an initiation gone bad. Fearing that Yummy would speak to the police if apprehended, the leaders of the Black Disciples decided they needed to get rid of him. It was a chilly evening on the dirty on the thirty first of August. Remember, this is only three days after he shot the girl. Now, is this like I don't know when you think about gangs never been in one and I know you haven't been in one, mm-hmm. but now is that like a bad thing? I mean, I know it's a bad thing, but I mean it's like is that something they don't tolerate you shooting an innocent person? I don't know. I if, figured. I don't it know would, if it's. I, I don't. I don't know if the. I don't know if the tolerance has lowered because of now in these day and age, it's all kids. Which it seems like it was the same thing. Even when I get to who they sent to get Yummy, but I would assume so. Yes, like innocent, like innocent yes. people or kids. I think, I think I it's like. one of those. I think yeah, when, like women, children, yeah. anybody who isn't involved, elderly people. I think these are all principles that sound like these are things that gangs mm-hmm. don't tolerate anymore but i think that the line has been blurred over time where these kids these kids they and these gangs they don't care point. anymore right. but like an older gang member would be like man what's up with y'all right. we 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 used to not do this right. we used to do crazy stuff but we had a line that sounds like something a og gang member would say to these young kids mm-hmm. but these young kids are so hopped up on these drugs they don't really give a shit about, you know, all this shit they're going through in their mind and twisted off these drugs and going through all their emotional issues. They don't give a shit about rules and what some older person is telling them they should and shouldn't do. They don't care. So I think if you, if there was a gang member's handbook, don't shoot kids and don't shoot women will be in the handbook. But these kids today and even in the 90s when this happened, were like, man, fuck it. I don't care about a rule book. I do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So um, that's scary, man. Very scary. I mean, they really, these kids don't, they don't give a shit now, and they apparently didn't give a shit like back then either. But um, 
So yeah, they decided they needed to get rid of him. Three days after he shot uh, young Siobhan Dean, uh, 14-year-old Derek Hardaway and 16-year-old Craig Hardaway were sent by the gang to find Yummy. So these mm. gang, whoever these leaders were, sent a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old to kill an 11-year-old that they got to kill somebody. Okay, so they kicked him, they kicked Yummy out of the gang. They didn't kick Yummy out of anything. Oh. They just decided that he, was he might him? snitch, so oh, he needs, so to, get he rid needs of to go. Got you. Okay. And they sent two kids to kill this kid. Wow. Which is one of the most cowardice things I've ever heard of for you to be wanting to be known as these disciples. I don't want to talk crazy about gangs on the mic, but I'm just saying, for in this instance, mm-hmm. for you to be some kind of crazy gang leader, for you to make a call like that, that a child needs to die, that's something that if you're the OG, you need to take on the burden of that. Or don't do it. But I'm saying if you decide, like, this kid might talk and you need somebody needs to take this kid out, don't put that nightmare on two other kids, mm. you know, and turn them into whatever you are that you, you know, that you don't give a shit about life and you're willing to just make a call to, to have to kill a kid and you send two kids to do it. That's disgusting to me. Um, but yeah, so they sent, he sent they, their brothers. He sent Derek Hardaway and Craig Hardaway, uh, to do the job. Um, they were also black disciples. As they drove around in the car, they spotted yummy standing on his neighbor's porch at uh 10, at one at well, I hate long addresses. I'm just gonna say it out. Uh, <laughs> they saw him on his neighbor's porch at one zero six zero nine South Edbrook Avenue. He had arrived at his neighbor's house visibly shaken. He asked if they could say a prayer before he handed himself into the police. So he was, you know, he he had, he had called his grandmother and and said, "Hey, I'm at my I'm at my neighbor's I'm at our neighbor's house. Can you come get me? Mm-hmm. I wanna I'm gonna go turn myself in because he was on the run." Once he shot that girl, he was on the run for three days. Damn. He didn't go home. I don't know where he went, but he just was, like, surviving on the streets, blending in with all the black people in his neighborhood and not being seen because he was mm-hmm. four feet tall and no police officers looking for a little kid. But after three days of being on the run and probably being hungry and, you know, dirty and cold, mm-hmm. he decided to turn himself in. And he went to his neighbor's house and asked if they could use his phone. He called his grandmother and asked her to come pick him up. And then his his neighbor was on the porch with him. And then his neighbor went in the house to make another phone call. I'm not sure to who. And when she came out of the house, Yummy was gone. Uh, they lured him to the car by being. They told him, "Yo, come get in the car. Um, we're gonna take you to. We're gonna take you out of the state to a hideout till the heat dies down, so the police can't find you." Mm. So Yummy got in the car, um, and he believed that they were taking him to a hideout out of the state. However, as they reached the nearby underpass, they ordered Yummy to his knees and shot him in the head twice. Damn. This I thought eleven year old. I thought you was gonna say they started banging off out front of the house. No. They oh. they did this very much hitman style. I think that if you're trying to take if you've been given given orders by like the head black disciple to kill this kid because he shot an innocent bystander, mm-hmm. the last thing you're gonna do is just go out and start busting your gun when you see him and potentially hit an innocent bystander and then you become the next person to be on the hit list. Mm-hmm. So they really did a like a professional hitman job. Yeah. They lied to him, lured him into the car, took him to a secluded area, and shot him twice. Oh, Execution crazy. style. This kid was eleven. And the two kids that did it were fourteen and sixteen. And what, I mean what I mean at fourteen years old, I 
the one of the biggest memories at, at 14 years old that I have, which is weird, I don't know why, is you calling me to tell me that you lost your virginity. <laughs> that's one of my that's one of my big memories from being 14. Mm. And this kid was killing a kid. And Yummy was also at 11. That's crazy. At 11 <laughs> Sixth grade? I mean, what? I mean, what? Like, sixth grade, I guess, right? Playing football, baseball, yeah. having fun, and this kid shot a woman. You know, it just is crazy, man. I, I, I can't fathom the turns and twists that my life would have had to take for me to end up in that situation. So, they got this kid. I'm guessing they recruited this kid. The, um, the black disciples. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they get him to. He didn't have a good family life. Everybody in Chicago's in a gang. Mm. You just kind of end up in a gang. They sent him out on the task to shoot a rival gang member. Mm-hmm. Almost to like initiate to like initiate him into yeah. the like you're officially a black disciple. Like a now. like a um, what they call it a bank. Uh, what they call it um, like getting jumped in. Yeah, jumped yeah, in. It's yeah, like getting it's jumped like in. Except on this one, you have yeah, to kill. Yeah, you have to kill a gangster disciple. Those Which, are the two big gangs in Chicago: BDs and GDs. Yeah. So yeah. they do that. He kills an innocent person and it's like, okay, well, he might snitch and then we got to kill you. So he got two other young kids. That's that's like, damn. Yeah, it's cold, man. It's a cold It's like cycle, you don't man. have a family, but you you get into, that's one of the reasons why people get in gangs. Um, this is the part that broke my heart the most. I can see where you're going with it. Continue. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna and then you. you don't have a family or a father in that matter. And then you get these people like, oh, we're we a family. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, but we need you to do this. And then you do it and then it's like, we going to turn on you? Like, yeah. it's like, damn. Yeah. This kid was 11, bro. And his family killed him. Or what he, what he thought was his family. That's wrong. He man. died thinking that his two homies were about to, you know, get him out, out of the state. And, you know, and that's how he died. You know, the last thing that's he saw crazy. was the last thing in his life was realizing that they betrayed him and they weren't going to help him. At least he got to talk to his grandma. Yeah. Before that went down. You but know. I mean, it's like, for anybody, you would be like, if somebody, if you, if people that you knew would be like, we got you, we gonna help you. And then I don't, I don't see nobody being like, nah, I think something's up. Yeah, no, for sure. And he's 11 so he's years 11. old, so he's not that That's smart, what I mean. So. You know, like, even an older person might, might not think that. But at 11, you definitely, I don't think he had any concept of any of the things that he was doing, but he was in this life heavily. He had a, he had a black disciples tattoo. At 11. And I that doesn't sound as crazy to me because, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, like when we were kids, I knew kids that had tattoos that was 12, 13. You know, 11 is pretty young, but, like, yeah, it's just that inner city. And I'm not trying to paint it out like I lived this inner city life, but, I, you know, I had family members and I would visit my family that did live in these situations. And it's just a faster life, you know. <laughs> these kids are out here, you know, being sexually active at 11, 12 years. It's just, it's just faster. Cause it's just, you could die tomorrow. I don't, I don't know if it's consciously, that's what they're doing. Like I might die tomorrow. So let me, you know, I want to, I want to sell drugs and get money right now. Mm-hmm. But it is at the very least subconscious that I need to live as much life as I can yeah. because I don't know how long I'm going to live. Right. So I need to get all the girls I can get. I need to get as fresh as I can get. I need to make as many crazy memories as I can. And I need to get as much respect as I can. Because I'm not going to let anybody, I'm not going to walk around here and be disrespected in my life and not be able to do the things that I want to do because respect goes such a long way in these kind of neighborhoods, you know? 
So that's, that's what I'm saying, why, like that, and that's why, like when you brought up some of these kids now, it's like they don't care. But it's like the big thing I bring up is social media, and that, and adding on to the point that where it's like I got to make a name for myself. Yes, and that matters more than even actually having the things that you're claiming to have, or even actually doing the things that you're claiming that you do. As long as people believe that you do them. Right. I just think kids nowadays want, I want, okay, I'd rather put my life, I'd rather put my life on the line, it will throw my life away, Uh huh. but I'd rather somebody be like, oh, Mike was real. Yeah. Doing it for the likes. Like, no, man, that's, if you take it that way, that's, you, that's completely wrong. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, it's bleak, man. I, I, I'm, I, this is why this story made me so sad while I was doing it, man. One, I could relate to it as far as knowing I know a yummy, you know. But also just the state of these inner cities is is depressing, man. And it doesn't seem like it's a way out because nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody gives a fuck. Every week we do a story here, you know, 15 black women were murdered and mm-hmm. they didn't do anything till the 16th person got killed. And, you know, the police didn't investigate. It was just a hazard of the job. You know, you're out there prostituting, so... That's just what happens. Or, you know, this guy, he ended up a serial killer, but also his mom used to, you know, beat him with sticks and, 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 and he was molested and all this kind of stuff. And all this stuff happens, you know, to everybody of every race. But for it to be in the circumstances that you're in, you know, because I hear a lot of arguments that I hear when people bring up, you know, poverty and these black communities and stuff is like people go. Hey, man, like, my life wasn't easy. I was poor, too. Everybody has problems. You just got to get over them. It is completely different to be your family was poor and your community was poor. Mm. You know, you could be the poor kid, and maybe you, but maybe you were still able to go to a school that, you know, had books and heat and air conditioning in the summertime and a curriculum. But these kids, not only are they poor, the school doesn't have any funding. The community doesn't have any funding. There's nothing for them to do after school. You know, it just it is a completely desolate area with no hope and no outlets to do anything. Especially when you don't got no guidance. Like his mom was. And that. And I'm that is <laughs> that is not something that is another thing. Like these, you know, people fathering children that they're not taking care of is not something that the government can fix. Mm-hmm. That needs to be instilled in people by fathers Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy it's like you didn't have a father so you don't learn how to be a father so then when you create a kid you are not a father to that kid it's just like it's just like for anything in life though it's like if if you don't have a plan or if you don't have a sense of direction where you need to head to it's like what yeah you're lost you're lost you're completely lost like and that like you said goes a long way if you don't have nobody to say it should be this way or you should do this this way like stuff like that it's like if you like that, you like, well, I'm I'm learning I'm on the doing go. It my way. I'm learning on the go basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's It's rough, man. Yeah, that's it is rough, that's man. Rough. So um, yeah. Three days three days later, Yummy's lifeless body was found in the underpass under the train tracks of hundred and eighth street between Dolphin and Cottage Grove. He was wearing a sweatshirt with a cartoon character on the front. He was the six hundred and thirty seventh person murdered that year in Chicago. Uh on the day on the day he should have been starting sixth grade and wow. gallivanting across the playground with other children, Yummy was buried. 400 mourners crowded into the youth center, into the youth center Church of God in Christ to say goodbye and reflect on the short life of a boy who had made more fellow, who 
had more felony arrests than birthdays. And I also read another article that said there were a lot of parents who were bringing their kids there to see to say, like, see what you can end up like. Mm-hmm. Because Chicago's been rough for a long... This isn't anything new. Right. I know these news channels are, are really want to focus in on Chicago and use them as a political talking point, like Donald Trump, to say, like, what about Chicago? But Chicago has been rough for a very long time. It was rough before Obama. It was rough before Trump. And just pointing at Chicago and saying, look at how bad Chicago is, isn't helping Chicago. Mm. So if you really want to help Chicago, do something. Mm. Don't just use them as the scapegoat to why you know why black kids are so crazy look at chicago that's why that's what's wrong with the black community look at chicago you know let me ask you a question now what if now you see how we was talking about how he had no guidance Uh and it's like based on how he was brought into this world it's like this is this maybe go bad for him from the jump yeah now what if you were what if we were born and then we had like somebody was like all right this is how your life gonna go from the beginning like a end. psychic oh like you know yeah like i guess like a psychic but if it was like we was born like a list like this is how your life can go from beginning to end uh-huh and he saw that and was like i'm sure not, that's not how he wanted his life to go this is not going this is not like it's that's and, co- and also his short his list isn't long that's it's what like i'm saying sticky, but it's like a sticky right note. but it's like but that's what i'm saying like we can see we would do these stories and we like he was born his mom was a prostitute his dad wasn't there yeah and then, like you know, like his mom was never there, shit mm-hmm. like that, and then it's like, oh, this is our, this is not going to go exactly. right for this. You kid. can already tell, right? Know? So then, like, but uh, however, in that same in that same grain, there are people who go through that and overcome, and it can be yeah, the most true. beautiful story ever. You know, you 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 can be so proud of a person overcoming mm-hmm. those odds, but you can't expect. I would never expect a person. That's why that's such an amazing story mm-hmm. because nine times out of ten, you end up a yummy. Maybe right. you live a little bit longer, but you end up a yummy, and then that. That one of ten becomes, you know, Tupac, Russell Simmons, you know, Jay Z. Mm-hmm. It, it's so rare. That's why it's amazing when you say, "Oh yeah, I was selling crack at eleven and I killed a person, or I shot a person. Maybe I didn't kill a person. I shot a person. My mom was a drug addict. My father wasn't there, and yet I'm a CEO of a company. That's amazing. But if you said all that, all that stuff about your life, and you go, "Yeah, so now I'm also a drug addict," you go, "Well, I mean, yeah." I mean, what chance did you have? Right. Because that's the more common road. Right. So it's extraordinary when you don't end up that way, when you overcome those odds. But who, you know how strong will and minded you have to be to overcome odds that that's stacked against you? That's why it's so incredible. That's why most of the time it's not a just, well, why maybe if you go to school and get a job. That's the most dismissive way to try to tell these kids to uh, to not get murdered by the time they're 19 mm-hmm. years old. To just be like, well, how about you just don't kill people? How about you just don't sell drugs? It's like the same way that these kids in these suburban neighborhoods play baseball and get jobs at snow cone shacks and all this kind of stuff. All those things for these kids is selling drugs, hmm. uh, uh, trying to wipe off people's windshields on the side of the road. These are those hustles that these kids in these suburbs are doing, you know, hmm. going to baseball games in the summertime. For these kids, it's, you know, popping the popping the cap off the fire hydrant and, you know, Jumping in in the streets. Mm-hmm. That's they're going to a baseball game. It's just different codes of life, you know. And and these kids aren't dumb. You got to be smart to know how to stretch a pack and break the drugs down and sell this and how many drugs. You got to be. That's math. Mm-hmm. But it's just all about the implic imp, the imp. How do you, what do you how do you what do you the, I can't think of the word. 
I'm going to say apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be the word I was trying to say. But like where your knowledge applies, you know? So what do you use it for? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to become an accountant, you need to learn X, Y, Z. But if accountant, I am not. I might not even make it to 18. Mm-hmm. I need money now. So right. in order for me to make money now, I need to know how to sell drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how that's those are that's the knowledge. I need to know how to spot a cop and what an undercover DA looks like. I need mm-hmm. to know. Uh, what time the routine uh, cops come around? I that's the stuff I need to know. You know, it's just different. Not knowledge is it's just different. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just it's just rough, man. Um, in the church, his body lay in a small coffin. Coffin. I'm from Boston. His body lay in a small coffin with a stuffed teddy bear beside him. The only picture of Yummy that his fam- family could find was a mugshot. Legendary rapper Tupac Shakur has a show, had a show in Chicago the day after Yummy was found dead. Mm. Tupac, famously known for his political activism and aggressive passion, looked out into the crowd and saw that the majority of the audience were black disciples. The gang that turned Yummy into a killer and in turn executed a young man who he thought was their family. Wait, so Tupac was there? Tupac at was in funeral? Chicago. No, Tupac oh. was at a concert in Chicago oh, the day after saw, his funeral. And he saw the black disciples in his crowd. The black disciples like, was like all the, it was like all black disciples. At his show? At his show. Oh, okay, I got you. Okay. Um, And I actually want to play a clip of Tupac talking about this situation where he saw an audience full of black disciples the day after they had killed a kid. How did How did he know? What did he Like all black or something? Uh, maybe they threw up signs or oh. something. You know, Tupac was a guy who he might have talked to some black disciples before the. Sh- you know, like mm-hmm. he was thug life, mm-hmm. so I'm sure he knew what the black disciples looked like. Maybe they do all wear all black, you know. But yeah, I want to play that clip really quick and just because I really thought I don't know what to think, but the first thought I had was like weirdly good for you, Tupac, and mm-hmm. you'll understand what I mean after I play the clip. So I'm gonna play that clip right now. This dude, what's his name, bro? Some nigga they just had out there, but he lost. Yeah, Gator. He came clo- Gator, yeah. yeah he came I'm, close, though. Yeah. Them some good cats, too, man. I went out there, they be looking out for him, but they be, they be gang so, like, the one set want me to be down with them. And yeah. The, oh, the, 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 the Blackstones want me to be with them. Yeah. be with them. But, yeah, I had some, I had to run it with them in Milwaukee because that was when that little kid died. Yummy Sandifer. Yeah, I heard you sent a shout-out to him. Yeah, I did a show that next day when, yeah. after they just killed that kid. Yeah. Because you heard what happened, right? Yeah, they executed him. Right, they executed him. And I was I, I was out there, and when I did the show, the gang was in the fucking audience. The whole gang had, like, brought out the stadium. Damn. So I'm rapping to the niggas that just killed this little kid. Oh. And they all screaming out, thug life. And I, I felt bad, like, wait did a minute, you? they got it twisted. Yeah. So I started cursing them niggas out, like, y'all niggas are cowards. Y'all niggas cowards. Y'all killed that kid. Y'all niggas is punks, man. I hate all you niggas. I heard all you. Them niggas start throwing shit. We had out in the stadium. Damn. It was tough, man. The whole gang tore up the whole neighborhood. But then I started getting letters from that area where all, like, the mothers, the girls was writing me, like, thank you for doing that because everybody's scared of these niggas. See, that's what I want to do. That's right. I want to, if these gang niggas ain't going to get straight, then I want to take them out the gang. That's real. Because if they don't, it's making trouble on us. Yeah, because if you ain't part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. No doubt. Therefore, you. Yeah, so um, that was one of the realest ever. Now uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but uh huh, go ahead. Why? Why did he have to go? I don't know, man. There's another interview. Um, I don't know. He, Tupac was a, a very articulate, and a real dude. The realest. Um, 
But yeah, so from that day on, actually, when he found out about that kid, he shouted out Yummy a lot of times in some songs. He had a song called Young Niggas, where he was kind of just talking about, he said, um, you know, I want to give a shout out to, or, or rest in peace to Yummy and all these all these young niggas so quick to grow up and become gangsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the song was just kind of about being a young young boy in these streets and getting into the gang life. And um, he, he also actually has like a very famous interview from prison. Mm-hmm with a poster behind him of a kid. And I thought it was an album cover mm-hmm. of him as a kid. I thought he was coming out with an album of like, you know, Lil Wayne and Biggie Smalls had like them as kids mm-hmm. on it. It was a picture of behind him. He's in jail. It was when he got arrested for that alleged rape. Mm-hmm. And um, it's yummy. Mm-hmm. This is a photo that like is ingrained in my mind about Tupac. I don't remember the interview verbatim, but behind him as he's talking, there's a photo of like a kid with nappy braids mm-hmm. behind him. And I was like, oh, that must just be his album artwork for his next album. It was a picture of this kid, Yummy Sandifer, mm-hmm. because he kind of, I think Tupac saw himself in Yummy. Mm-hmm. And he just happened to overcome his circumstances, you know? So I think, I think, also, I think when you find out that a kid got killed by a gang, it, that makes you angry, but I also think it was something about Tupac that made him go like, damn, I mean, I, I could have been that kid if, right. if my path wouldn't have worked out exactly the way it did. Mm-hmm. So I think he really took on that and, and really felt a way about it because he really was, he t- talked about this kid a lot after he got killed and after this incident where he basically says, I told everybody in that audience, fuck y'all. That's y'all are the, pieces of that's, shit. That's some real And that's we had a fight, shit. you know, just right there in the, after, during my show. I fought some guys who were in a gang that killed a kid. You know, that's how passionately he felt about it. So, yeah, I mean, so I, I just, I felt like I wanted to play that because I thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. That I, I didn't know about this kid until like, I'd heard his name probably six months ago, just, just kind of because of what we do. Mm. And um, I didn't really pay any mind to it. But then um, after that kid, uh, DeWante Harris ran over that police officer here, uh, Amy, Amy, Amy Caprio, mm-hmm. when he ran her over and then everybody's talking about him the way they are. And, you know, uh, I wanted to find something similar to that. And, and I, I remembered this yummy story. And I was like, it was like a gang thing. Right. And then when I went down the rabbit hole, I said, wow, I mean, this kid, Dewante probably has a, a, an exactly, an exactly similar story to, mm-hmm. to yummy. He just made it five years longer than yummy did. Right. And just did something dumb. And now he's in jail. I'm surprised he's not dead. He, it could have went that way for him. And now he's a villain. He's America's villain now, you know? Um, so that was the reason I picked this story was mm-hmm. because of what happened here in Baltimore. Um, and I wanted to parallel that to what happened with Yummy in Chicago. And even though, you know, Baltimore is on the East Coast, Chicago, that's the Midwest, there's so many of the same. There's a Yummy in every major city in the, across the country. There's a many Yummies. There's thousands, millions of Yummies, you mm-hmm. know? And all it takes is like a little bit of an influence either way you get influenced the wrong way. You could end up becoming a cold blooded killer. You get influenced the right way. You could end up Tupac Shakur. Mm-hmm. You know, it just influences everything. Cause you're at such a vulnerable spot at a young age and you're going through all this crazy traumatic stuff and somebody could come into your life for the good and somebody could come in, but somebody could also come into your life for the bad. And if, in Yummy's case, the black disciples came into his life for the bad mm-hmm. And he is no longer with us. I'm not going to, um, 
I'm not going to pretend like Yummy was some angel or some innocent kid, mm. but he was a kid and he is a product of his environment. I don't think that's anything that he could have helped. I don't think Yummy really ever had a chance. And I think there's something really sad about that um, when you have to um, let people know up front that you don't you don't condone the actions of a child. Mm hmm. But he was a child. I'm not saying like, oh, poor Yummy, he's dead. But like, yeah, poor Yummy, you know, right. he had a terrible life. And because of his environment, he fell into a terrible lifestyle yeah, and it got him. him killed. Right. What he did was messed up. He killed a person. That's awful. But that was a byproduct of something that already happened to him. Mm -hmm. He already was a lost soul. And I think that's tragic that we... Yummy, this isn't a rare story. There's a there's millions of yummies, like I said. So there's a bunch of kids walking around that their souls are already gone. Mm. That's 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 sad. So that was the story of Robert Yummy Sandifer. Um, like I said, I, I I'm I'm be honest with you, man. Like I was on the, I borderline shed tears when Sierra mm. woke woke up. I was in a kind of a funk because as I said, I, I have personal experience with this. My cousin is never gonna be out of jail again. And his story is very similar to Yummy's. Mm -hmm. At one point, they had like people talking nice about Yummy, like, "Well, he's not as bad as people are making him out to seem." Um, Yummy uh, really liked candy, and he had a way with bikes. And I read that, and I was like, "I mean, my, my cousin could take a bike and pop the take the pegs off this bike and put them on this bike." Mm -hmm. But the reason that he could do that was because he stole bikes. Hmm. And I bet Yummy did the same thing. You know, so many parallels to. You know, oh, you want a bike? I can't afford a bike. I'll go take this person's bike out of their yard, spray paint it black, put some new wheels on it, mm -hmm. put a new chain on it, and throw some pegs on it. Now I have a new bike, you know? So, yeah, yummy. Those are the tools of the trade, of living in this environment. It's just, it's just crazy to me that the tools are all the same, mm -hmm. you know? Being nice on a bike, being able to wheelie. You know, that was the first sign that I knew I wasn't cut out to be living in the city and in, in, in the environment because I, I could never do a wheelie. To this day, <laughs> I can't do a wheelie. And Chauncey would come through like, watch this, and just pop it up mm. and do the whole block on a wheelie, you know. Dang. It just, he just was, he was made for that. It just, it suited him. Mm. That's, he liked it. He loved it. Going out late in the streets, not listening to his mom, coming home late. He had guns in his room. Mm. It started off with BB guns, but eventually, you know, because I was... We was we were we would play video games and laugh and all that kind of shit. But like also, we're twelve years old and he's got condoms in his room and BB guns and, and stolen clothes. But I didn't think anything of it because it was just my cousin. Right. But it's just that's he was all in into that life. So this story was it just hit home for me because I saw so much of my own cousin in Yummy, and it was just it was it was it was a rough read because my cousin is essentially as bad as it sounds. My cousin is essentially dead. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like he's never going to be out of jail. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got his, his sister just had twins and all this stuff. He's not going to be any family reunions. He didn't see them. We lived in the house with my grandmother, me and him, my, you live coincidentally, me and Fran, his grandmother lives next door to my, his, my grandmother lives next door to his cousin. Who I, yeah, I grew, yeah, your yeah. aunt, my mm -hmm. bad. And I grew up with your with Ariel and your cousin, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. I grew up around them. That my grandmother, that, that grandmother passed away. He wasn't at the funeral. We lived with this woman mm -hmm. for years. He lived with her until he got locked up. He wasn't able to see her get buried. That's crazy. So he's gone. 
as you know, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it just really hit home for me. It was a rough one, but I felt like I don't ever want to just talk about gang uh, stories. But this one just, it, I just saw so many parallels in it to what had happened with this kid, Dewan Harris, and this police officer, Officer Caprio, and with my own cousin, and what's going on in Chicago, and what's going on in Baltimore. We just like ranked number one in violence or some mm -hmm. shit like that. It's just, I saw so many parallels that I felt like this story kind of fit the, the climate of the city that we live in and the climate of the country right now really as a whole mm -hmm. and what's going on in these inner cities and every all across the country. So um that was yeah that was the story of Yami Sandifer. So that was my affirmative. Yeah, moment. that was um that was deep. Uh it kind of sucks that you can relate to that story, but uh yeah, life's life, you know. Yeah, but uh, at least it was... wasn't me. You know, that's, I mean that's the positive I can find. Yeah. You know, it was it I I, I can't relate to it cuz it happened to me. Right. I, I, and it's the silver lining I can find in it. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's that was good. That's probably one of my favorite ones I like, that we've I like both him. done so far. But um, yeah, I wish, I wish you would win second. Uh, <laughs> let me go first. To be honest, that was a great story. That was that was awesome, man. I, Thank I you, appreciate, man. I appreciate you picking that, that story. Yeah, and, um, I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back. It's Franz' turn to close out the show because he is in fact the uh, champion of rock paper scissors. And those and champions get to do what they want to do. So uh, when we come back, um, we're going to tell you some fucked up shit. So stay tuned. All right, guys. And we are back. Uh, we have been teasing this for some time. But before me, I have a manila envelope with a letter from Miss Angelique Cougar. Uh, we have artwork that is hanging in the pod loft as we speak. And uh, we have a little card that I want to read on air from uh, Miss Angelique Cougar, who made us a lovely piece of uh, fan art. And I think she's dope as hell. Yep. Um, it says, thank you. She thanked us. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It says, uh, thank you guys for the awesome podcast you make. So I made this for you, exclamation point. Hope you like it, Angel. Wonderful. Yes. I love that. I want to say, um, it looked really good on photo, but when you get it in person, you see the detail. She yeah. made our logo. She like made it out of. She stitched uh, together our logo. Um, it 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 look it feels like it was made with love. It's 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 firm to the touch. It is not flimsy at all. We actually put it in a frame. We're gonna take a picture with it and put it up on the Facebook group. And I just want to give a very another big thank you to Angel. I don't know why you're thanking us. Um, all we do is come in here and make, you know, uh. I, we just come in here and we hang out with, I hang out with my best friend for you know an hour and a half. And uh, if you guys enjoy that, I'm really happy you guys enjoy it because we enjoy it. So um, thank you, thank Angel, but thank all yeah. anybody who's thank listening. You. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and Not even that, she spent her time. Yeah, to she, do that. she took that's, personal that's time awesome. to make right. that. I really, that really is touching to me. I really appreciate that very much. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I know that took weeks and weeks to get and and to to bring it, but um, it was worth it. It was well worth it. Um, thank you again. And uh, without further ado, Fran, if you would please tell me your affirmative murder this week. Yeah, my. I mean, it's based on your story, mine is going to be like you know, it's not going to. Hey, it's going to beat that. That's, that's fine. That's awesome. That's fine, man. But um, <clears throat> so my affirmative murder this week is Lamb Corwan. Lamb? Yeah, Lamb. Oh, okay, cool. So he's uh one of Hong Kong's um one of Hong Kong's most known serial killers. Oh. So 
I'm gonna just say I'm gonna just say Lamb because they say his whole name a lot. <laughs> so Lamb is now 62, serving life, serving a life sentence at the maximum security Czech Peak Prison mm. in Latua La Island mm. for um for a string of grisly grisly murders in the early 1980s. He holds the <clears throat> the dubious distinction of being Hong Kong's first serial killer. His reign of terror came to an end at 35 years 35 years ago. This week, when he was apprehended on August seventeenth, nineteen eighty-two, mm. uh, at that age he was twenty-seven. Now, this article was um, written August sixteenth of twenty seventeen. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna put his picture up because he has he has a whole bunch of pictures on this article. He looks like a young Jackie Chan, like oh, for real? just like him. Yep. <laughs> gave him a one, two. They gave him four different nicknames. They got the Jars Murderer, the ja- Rainy Jars. Yeah, Jars Murderer, oh. the Rainy Night. Butcher, oh. the rainy night killer, and the Hong Kong bitch, butcher. So that was he had four different names he went by. The Jars killer definitely comes in last place on that list. That's, yes. <laughs> that's not clever at all. Yeah. So most press coverage at the time focused on the details of the case. Woman's sexual organs preserved in jars of right, formaldehyde. So that's where he got that name from. Formaldehyde. Yeah. Sorry, formaldehyde. Um, necrophilia and, and mm. reams of pornographic material. It's hard to feel anything, but I don't even know this word. What was rep rep r e p u g n a n c e? Repugnance. You said r e p u g. Yeah. Yeah. Repugnance. What that mean? Grossed out. Why they just can't say grossed the, in, out? In the streets, we say repug. Really? That's repug. <laughs> that's what we're gonna say on the show. Yeah. That's anything repug. but repug for a man who committed such. Monstrous murders, particularly one who showed no remorse, but considered the kind of person he was. Mm. Of course, Lamb had always been a loner. He was growing up in Mala- Malaysia. Mm-hmm. His father used to beat him. I have a cousin named Malaysia. His father used to beat him and his mother. He once hit Lamb so hard that the boy was knocked unconscious. Mm. The abuse stopped when they moved to Hong Kong, and Lamb was in his teens. But he had trouble making his making friends at school. His electronic chess set was his closest friend. Now I don't know what does that even look like. I don't. Is it a? It does it mean like a Game Boy or <laughs> the, the? It's would, like yeah, a, maybe electronic, maybe. like physical, like Scrabble, but electronic. <laughs> like what does it move itself? When you either way, move or? either way, that's like the lamest video game. So I can see how people be like, oh, it was like one of big that. handhelds. Yeah, like a you big, know, like a yeah. Game Boy. What's the, just Game Boy, not Game Boy Color? Yeah, remember those. <laughs> A big gray I had, brick. I had the like the purple see through one. Yeah, After that's, that one. that's Game Boy Color. Oh, that's Game Boy Color. Game Boy, just Game Boy. You talking about that big silver like one? This. No, I didn't have you that one. Play like Tetris on it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that one. As an adult, he got a job as a taxi driver and chose to work the night shift because it suited his temperament. He continued to live in the family home and told Kwawan sharing a room with his younger brother. Lamb had never had a girlfriend. In the night in the late 1970s, he secretly. Um, hoard hoard a pornographic magazines oh. that he ordered from a Britain a Brit what he ordered from Britain because he was too embarrassed to buy them over the counter, so he was just oh he was in Hong Kong too yeah just ordering uh, Asian people notoriously into some weird porn really yeah like uh you know um uh they like uh, what does they call that I think I think they're Pretty into scat porn, which is like t- to be shat on. Ugh. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. 
Pee-wee. Um, yeah, that's mm, you can fuck me up with that one. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a real thing. Sometimes you like to be shit. Sometimes you like to do the shitting. You know, it's real. Yeah, we're gonna move on on that one. Hey man. Uh, yeah, his don't fa- knock until you try it. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not gonna try that. His family had no idea about his stash. He kept it under under lock and key. He must have had like a whole yeah. collection. Had a treasure chest of <laughs> dirty mags. Slack it up. Spling. Yeah. Flip his key and go he, by his business. Nah, he seemed like the kind of kid that would have one of those locks where the password's like milk. You gotta put it. It's like letter, letter, oh, uh, yeah. a letter lock. <laughs> so nor did nor did they know he was. Or have we a re? A, oh, okay. He was a re photo. He was re photographing the pictures in the 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 porn magazines and selling them. I think he was just doing it for his. Oh, for his own pleasure. For his own pleasure. Yeah. Oh. Um. Like to make them portable, or something. Maybe. I don't know. Take take him with him or something. I was gonna give him points for being a hustler, but he's just extra pervy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to take wanna the whole magazine. I don't want to take the whole magazine out of the house. I might just want page eleven. Yeah. So yeah, so he did. So he rephotographed the pictures in the poor magazines. When he grew tired of this pastime, he bought a Polaroid camera and began snapping pictures under the the cubicle doors of women's toilets. Oh come on, man! Until he became frightened of the irate woman who chased him down the street. Yeah. So when I'm caught his ass. Yeah. yeah good for her. Caught his ass. Um. So Lan was obviously not happy. A well-adjusted man. This goes some way to explain what happened just before 4 a.m. on February the 3rd, 1982, when he picked up a woman, a woman passenger in his taxi outside a restaurant, and Simsha Sue, or C. Mm. Um, her name was Chan Fung, Chan Fung Lane. Okay. Worked at the Chinese Palace nightclub and had gone for drinks and a snack with her sister and a couple of friends after work. She was drunk and partway through the journey told Lamb to stop. So I'm guessing she flagged him down. He pulled up at, at the service station and she opened the door and vomited onto the street. Then, then Oh no no. He said she's saying that almost she's already in the cab and while he's almost to her house, oh, she had to stop the car and she throw up and out of the car. Oh, partway through the journey. She yeah, had to get out right, and throw right, up. Yeah. I thought she was like walking and then like before she flagged him down. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um he put up at the service station and opened the door and vomited onto the street. Then told Lamb she wanted to return to back to I'm not saying that club again. So back to the nightclub. <laughs> a few minutes later, she changed her mind again. Oh, I, uh, I'm like, all right, look, woman, <laughs> <laughs> running up my fucking. F- I got other fares I could be getting. You got to be going back and forth. Right. Uh, something in Lamb snapped. So I'm I mean, <laughs> something in me would have snapped too, but I I would assume it's not whatever's coming next yeah, for right. him that he did. My uh, snap would have been like, get up, get the fuck out of my cab. <laughs> Walk home. I mean, like, he probably always already was going to do this. Yeah, but, but you then, just like, made, you after made that, it worse, it man. Was like, I don't mean the victim blame, but come on. Come on, man. But, I mean, like, yeah, but maybe she couldn't have been his first victim. But that probably was like, you know. Yeah, it was like, I'm, I already, that lady, <laughs> that lady really embarrassed me when she chased me down the street the other day. I'm going to take all that out on this. This lady's getting on my damn nerves. And he probably went, oh, if yeah. she asked me to turn around one more time, <laughs> I'm going to do That's it. it. And then he had to stick to his word. Yep. So something in Lamb snapped. He pulled over and strangled Chan with a length, with a length of electrical wire. Mm. The first murder wasn't planned, but the way it unfolded set the pace of events that followed. Over the next seven months, Lamb killed and dismembered another three women and took photos of their bodies 
When Lamb was arrested for his crimes, investigators wondered whether he had wanted to be caught. One even suggested that he got he got a kick out of taking that chance. Lamb's riskiest move, the one that led to his arrest, was getting his pictures developed a at a photography wow. store. Wow. That's a if that's not a cry for for help and the wanting to be caught, I don't know what it is. Because it's the eighties, right? Mm-hmm. So to develop those photos, you have to handle the actual film. Don't they still do that now? It's like I think you. I can't. remember at one time, oh, uh, I think I was with somebody that got some photos developed, and it's like I used to be like, don't they look at them? Don't they look at other people's pictures? If you actually use film, but like if you want to print out photos, you don't even deal with people anymore. Like if you want to go to a CVS and I wanted to get prints, you do it online. Of my, yeah, you can get oh. them done online, and then when you get there. Well, I guess if you did them done online, they have to look at them because they got to print them out. But you can go to Walgreens or CVS or whatever your, whatever region you live in, whatever your version of a pharmacy uh-huh. is, and you can just plug your phone in and do it yourself. You don't have to have oh, a okay. photo person do oh, it. Okay. I don't even know if they have like a quote-unquote photo person anymore. I think the person behind the counter can just be like, after they ring up somebody for food, they can be like, oh, yeah, I'll be over there in a second yeah. to help you with that. Yeah, but I think I've but done it. But it used to be like a one-hour photo. Yeah, I've done it online before. And those people definitely that, look they at your definitely photos. Gotta you got to print them out, and they got to put them in a little bag. Thing. Yeah, then you got to see how they look. If they fucked up, yeah. Can, yeah. But I feel like, like that's a little. They, you must can't print no crazy shit. And that, in that case, if you do it that way, because they get people got to look oh, at. Oh yeah, them. exactly. <laughs> but even more so, in like in the eighties, you had. I, I'm pretty sure you had to like put it in like Water the and fluid, and, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then you it slowly becomes clear, and it's right. like a bunch of limbs. That's crazy. That would be. Oh, God, that would, like, make my heart, I would have a heart attack. If I was just doing my job and, then the, you know, like, whenever I see that in movies and I took a film class, a film class I've developed a couple photos in my life, mm. and you put it in the water, I don't know the words for the stuff, and then it slowly goes from being, like, a white piece of paper to, like, the film starts mm. to come to life, and then if that was just, like, start to come to life and it's just, like, him holding the head. Yeah, that's creepy. So. That would be fucking crazy. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so he had... Pictures developed at a um, photography store. He had a narrow escape one time when the, the technician questioned him about the photos of of the dismembered limbs and cross sections and the cross sections of joints. Mm. So he got away with this. He did it twice. So yeah. the first time he got away with it. Um, however, he accepted Lamb's explanation that he was a university lab technician and the pictures were for medical research. Thank you. That's somebody. That's somebody that didn't want. They didn't want to even they didn't, get involved. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> That was somebody's like, like really like you right. you think uh, he would go to a CV whatever the store was you just gonna say it's a CVS or yeah and he was like you know I'm a get these photos developed right um they probably have a person on staff at that, a hospital that's what, that's what I mean. to get them done for you you know what I mean like he probably was that dude probably was like if you guys see my face probably was like all right okay I'm mean, like yeah whatever you Take say <laughs> I don't want any I don't if I hope it's let's just say it's the truth because if it's not I don't want to know what the truth is oh man like. Yeah, that dude was like, I don't even want yeah. no parts of this. If you say so, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Lamb wasn't so unlucky on August 17th of 1983. The technician did a double take when he saw the photos of a naked woman. Some of her whole body, some of her whole body and other close-ups, and they seemed staged, like pornographic pictures. He might have assumed they were a couple's intimate photos yeah. if it hadn't been for the couple that stood out. One showed a burn mark on the woman's thigh, mm. and another was was of a severed breast. Mm. God. Yeah. Um, so the police were called. The, photo, the photos were due 
for collection the next day, and two plainclothes officers waited outside the Kodak store in Simshatsu. It wasn't until the nighttime that Lam pulled up outside, outside in his taxi. He told the police that he was collecting the photos for a friend. Sure. But the, officer, the officers um, accompanied, yeah, accompanied him to his home, surprising his parents and younger brother, Lam Kongku, was his brother, at the dinner table. Oh, he so, still lived at home? Yeah, he still, he had a room with his brother. Oh, I thought you meant like just growing up. How no. old it? I he thought was, was like in the 30s, 27, right? 27, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, it's like that kid that sued his parents because they wanted they wanted to evict him from his house, and he said, nah, take me to court. Seriously? How old was yeah, he? Yeah, you haven't seen this? This, no. happened, this came out like last week or, or maybe the week before that. He's 30, and his parents wrote him five notes of like, hey, listen, you need to leave. And then they offered him all kind of... We'll give you fifteen hundred dollars to just leave now, and you can get an apartment. Mm-hmm. And they ended up taking him to court. And the judge was like, "Yeah, man, you gotta go." Yeah. <laughs> and he You're... said, "I will be." A... I... When after it was over, and he said, "Like, yeah, you gotta move." He's like, "I'll be filing an appeal." And he packed <laughs> his stuff up and left. Like you're well over eighteen. You <laughs> should be. <laughs> you are a grown ass right. man. Yeah. And he has a kid. But I'll tell wow. you about that off air. I'll okay. tell you after the... we're done. Okay. It didn't take police. Yeah. So he got caught. Um. Then they. Took the pictures and then they went back to his house. They took him back to his house. I'm guessing to do further look research around, and look yeah. around. Yeah. So it didn't take it didn't take the police long to find that the incrimination evidence. Um, I'm sorry, the incriminating evidence. Uh-huh. They they told him to unlock the old metal ammunition ammunition box oh, the under porn. the bed. Yep. <clears throat> Inside were two Tupperware boxes sealed with masking tape. Oh. A detective opened one and found a severed breast. Oh, what? Yeah. He kept it in some Tupperware. Yes, in his in, in his, his trunks where his uh where his Maggie porn, Maggie, yeah. porn yep. mags. Yep. So police officers, two homicide detectives, and Lamb's family were crammed into a small flat when British forensic chemist um, Sheila Hamilton arrived a couple of hours later. The f- the flat silent. Everyone dumbstruck by the gruesome find. Hamilton opened another Tupperware box and discovered a vagina. <clears throat> pickled, picked in, oh. he, pickled in, pickled. I thought you misspoke. No, no pickled in from formaldehyde, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, fuck. Yeah, gross, man. The evidence was considered too horrific. F- now this is crazy. The evidence was considered too horrific for a woman to work with, and she was taken off the case. Tupperware. He just <laughs> had a he just had a titty in a in a in a Tupperware bowl. Yeah. That's um, gross. That's gross. That's disgusting. Yeah. Um, it was these Tupperware jars that inspired Lamb's moniker. Although the local media dubbed him the Rainy Night Killer because he picked up his victims under the cover of darkness and rain. You know what, man? I misspoke. The jars killer. It makes sense. Fits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's the one. Um. Yeah. Uh, the number of body parts and amount of pornographic material made it seem made it seem unlikely that it was the work of one person. Oh. Police suspect, sus- suspected that they found that they had found a family of sex killers. Oh, they're going to try to pin it on the, yeah. everybody? Yeah. Um, Lamb, his father, and brother were all arrested and kept in separate cells. The next morning, handcuffed and accompanied by two guards, Lamb was taken to see his brother, who lashed out on him. His brother went off on his ass. Kicking and screaming, it took several minutes to separate them. Damn. Yeah, um, yeah, man, you fucking drag. Bring him, yeah. Your bring in body parts and shit into <laughs> into our room that we share. Right. 
And That's you the crazy me, part. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. like, oh. So Lamb promised his brother, and he would tell the truth, and then confess to the murders, revealing to police all the all the grim details. After strangling, after strangling Chan, he had driven home. It was five minutes. It was five a.m. The time he usually finished his shift. The streets was deserted, so he carried Chan's body across it and into the block of flats. Now this is let me see. Okay, this he talking about one of his victims. Okay, I got me confused. Um. Past the sleeping night watchman, fucking guy not doing his job, inside the flat, he hid the body under the sofa, then lay then lay in the bed waiting for his family to get up. Wow. So he yeah. did all this in the house? Yes. In so an apartment building? In a flat, yeah. So put the body under the sofa. Um, How you don't realize there's a body under your sofa? Yeah. He must have been quiet carrying a body and, and your security guard or whatever the fuck you want to call him is fucking knocked out and shit. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so he put him under the sofa, went to bed. Uh, when he heard, when he heard his family leave for work, he covered the he covered the bedroom floor with plastic and placed the body on it. So on wow. some um, what's that what's that show I watch? Um, Dexter. Yeah, some Dexter shit. He used an electric saw to cut up the corpse and took photographs as he worked. <sighs> when he finished, he wrapped the head, limbs, and torso separately and put them in a boot. In the boot of the taxi. That night, he dumped the body parts in, in the Shing Moon River near Sha Tin. A week later, he read news re- read news reports about the body parts washing up on the banks of the river, but police could not identify the body. Wow. Um, his next murder was well planned. He bought specialist specialist equipment and including surgical instruments and formaldehyde. Again, the victim was a was a ball worker, and this time he had sex with the body before dismembering it. Mm-hmm. The first time he had intercourse, that's where it stops. That's a period. So oh. this is his first time having intercourse. With, oh, because he had he didn't have sex with yeah, the first girl. So with this, so with this dead body, is his first time having sex. Period. Wow. Oh, he was yeah, a virgin. Th- right. Wow. <laughs> that's why I had to read it over oh, again because wow. I didn't understand. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't catch it until you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, so later he would tell the police he had no interest in women sexually and was embarrassed about the necrophilia. Right. He didn't feel remorse about these two killings or the third. Also, a ball worker telling police that the women were useless to society. Jeez. His fourth victim, Lang Wansun, was different. The 17-year-old student hailed his taxi after a a sixth-form dinner when she decided not to continue on with her classmates after the meal. Um, they put they put her in a cab to make sure she got home safely. It was 9.30 p.m., much earlier than his previous killings. He kept the girl handcuffed in his cab for hours, talking to her about family, religion, and life. That's some, like... To her, I was like, oh, this dude is fucking crazy. Like, oh, yeah. He handcuffed me for one. Then you're sitting you there talking, talking to her. You're so like, easy to talk to. Trying to, like, fucking snatch your arm off the fucking handcuffs. Right. That's that's insane. So at 4 a.m. when she fell asleep, he strangled her and took the body home. When he was setting up the lighting to film his grisly activities, a lamp fell on the dead girl's thigh and burned the skin. Oh, so that was wow, the, what the they burn. said in the beginning. Yep. Leaving the mark on the codec leaving the mark that the Kodak technician had noticed in the photos that led to Lamb's arrest. When Lamb went on trial, only 
only men were allowed to serve on the jury on April 3rd, 1983. Now, this is starting to feel it like it was sexist. Like, not that that lady couldn't do her uh-huh. job, that a bunch of men decided that she she's too weak to do this job. Well, I think... I don't think it I don't was... like that. Yeah, I don't think it was her idea, like, I can't do this. Yeah. I just think they was like, yeah. we don't want you on this. This is, this is distasteful right. for a woman to see this. Yeah, I don't think it was her choice. I'm sure she probably wanted to do that case. I yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of strong right. women that also exactly. in the jury part yeah. was like, yeah, I can do this. And they're yeah. like, no, 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 this isn't women's work. That's why I was like, that's kind of, that's fucked up. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Um, especially in a situation like that, you're a woman. Yeah, like, you want to get justice. I want to be this. a part of this. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, when Lamb went on trial, only men were allowed to serve on the jury. On on April third, nineteen eighty three, he was found guilty on four counts of murder and sentenced to death by hanging. Mm. As we as was the custom, the strangler becomes the strangled. Yep. As was the custom before the the what is it before the ab ab what is it abolition abolition sure uh, ab- abolishment. There you go. You know why I play my best friend? Right <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, the death sentence in 1983. This was commuted to a life sentence, so they took it away. Oh well, then never so he mind. was just yeah, took it away. His family, his family was unable to sell their flat. Who would? Yeah, who would want? Yeah, who would buy a place that had been turned into? I don't know this word either. Jesus. <laughs> Ab- abitur. Abitur. Uh, spell it. A B A T T O I R. O I R. Oh, I don't know that. Abattoir. That's some kind of Frenchness. I don't know what that is. Okay, well. You said T T O I R? Yeah. Yeah, that's abattoir. But I don't know what okay. that is. Me either. Um, so we're just going to move on. So, yeah. had, <laughs> so had to continue living there. They hung an image of Chung Kui, a vanquisher of ghosts and evil beings in Chinese Not mythology, enough. above the front door. Not enough. Yeah, so they were stuck in that flat. I would would never live there. Nobody was buying that flat. Um, I had some other. They found that they found a breast and a vagina in under in the one of the bedrooms. Yeah, and he butchered another. He butchered butchered a body in the main living room. No. Yeah. Also, um, his victims. One was twenty one. The other one was thirty one. One was twenty nine, and the last one was seventeen. They were all found dismembered, also, but they all they all was found in, um. A rice bag. They were all found in rice bags. Wow. Near near a river, basically. Uh-huh. Um, so after he was um sentenced, when he spoke to a psychiatric psychiatrist Dr. William Green, Lamb stated that he, quote, ate part of the intestines of one of his victims Come on, man. and that his motivation was not primarily sexual, but that quote, it was God who told him to kill the victims. Shh. I've done said that probably damn near every story I've done told on this show. Yeah, you do a, you do you do a lot of psychos. You do a lot of dudes that was like, yeah, man, I had schizophrenia. You you do do a lot of those kind of guys. Like I'm I'm tired of hearing it. I hear it so much. It's like, how, like how like, many? And then he said, think God. That? Then he said, Jesus told me to do this. I'm like, oh, well, there it is. So that was Lamb Kowan, the Jars murderer, the Rainy Night Butcher, the Rainy Night Killer, and the Hong Kong Butcher. So many AKAs. Yeah. Um. Oh man, dude was lost his virginity to a dead body. Yeah, that was gruesome. That's I can't sick. believe he just had a titty in a just a uh, titty in a bowl under his bed. That's really um, grotesque. And like, I don't even know, was it the vagina skin? Like, what do you mean you had a vagina? How, what do you oh, mean? No. Like, <laughs> what? What of it? Like, if you cut somebody's dick off, 
you have a dick. Right. <laughs> How do you, what if, What do you mean you had the vagina? Like, you just cut off whatever. F- but for him exterior. to just have a titty, though, like, just yeah, one that's, titty that's, and a Tupperware bowl. That's wild. Like, for what? Do you think he, like, would suck the titty? That's but he disgusting. said it wasn't sexual. So it just wanted, that was the momentum, that was the memento he wanted to keep was just like an extra titty under his bed. I'm going to just keep this titty here for, you know, just to look at it. Yeah. That's oh, disgusting. wait. Because, like, the Playboy thing, maybe that was, like, the next step of, of like, uh, Dirty Magazine to him is, like, an actual titty. Like, maybe. instead of looking at a titty magazine, I have an actual titty. Well, well and before that, he didn't never had sex, so... Yeah, that's what I mean. So I don't know how it's sexual. Maybe he just liked to look at the titty part. Maybe he just used it to play with it, I'm guessing. Because he never had sex, so he just used titty to mess with it, you know, suck on it maybe. I don't know. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah. And then for his Dark. brother to be like, man, you doing this shit in my room? Yeah, man, I sleep here. <laughs> this is what yeah. you was doing when I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in fairytale land dreaming and sleeping. You're in here looking at a titty <laughs> in a bowl? You make me sick. Yeah, man. We would have to fight. For sure. Yeah, that's what he, he did. did fight. Yeah, that's what he did. <laughs> And that's what he did. Yep. God. That was um what was his Lamb? Lamb, yeah, Lamb. Ah, oh, jeez. Lamb. Yeah, that was dark. Um All right, man. That was good. Lamb. I enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Um folks, we do have pressing matters uh at hand. Uh it is the 10th. We will be doing cereal and cereal next Friday if oh, you're okay. available, Fran. Yeah. Uh, I will make sure my, that my calendar is is clear to for us to um, you know, uh do cereal and cereal on Friday and then have that up on the, the following Saturday for all of you to enjoy. Mm. I need suggestions from anybody who suggests any documentary or movie that we should watch. And then I will put the poll up probably tonight or Monday or Monday night. And then we will have the poll winner, you know, within a day or, or a few hours to know, you know, which two movies we will select from Fran. It is your month to select. So whatever finalists okay. come from the poll, you will then select which movie we will be doing our cereal and cereal on this Friday. Mm-hmm. So anybody out there, hit our Facebook group, hit our Twitter, and uh, let us know any suggestions that you have for a movie or documentary that you think we should watch, or some cereal, or some cereal. If you suggest, if you have a cereal suggestion that you you know that's at a place, don't send me a, a picture of a, a grocery store in South Africa. I can't <laughs> get the cereal by Friday. Okay, <laughs> Walmart, you know, uh, Sam's Club. Uh, uh, they have some Sam's Club, you know, cereal. Like, yeah, I mean, like they have kinds bulk of cereal. Probably oh. not. They probably just have bulk Frosted Flakes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But like Walmart, um, uh, any kind of local grocery store. If you see a cereal that you think is new and exclusive, let us know to keep an eye out for it, and maybe we'll try to grab that, and that'll be our choice for this week. Don't send no pictures of no generic shit. Like, yeah, no apple dapples. Never. Yeah, don't send us the picture <laughs> of the Frosted Flakes. It's Frosted Flakes, but it's a, be- a panda bear on it. We won't be eating that. It's called like Frosted Frillies. We don't want it. We eat. We not. We don't have anything against generic cereal, but typically generic cereal is just some kind of off brand of a cereal that we've already had. Mm-hmm. You know, Fruity Loopies. Yeah, you know, like we have. We've had Fruit Loops. We don't need like Fruit Rings. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, you know. Uh, so don't Fruity Rocks. You know, and instead of Fruity Pebbles, we 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 get it. 
Let's send us some ones we haven't had before if we can do that. Free so yeah, rest. send us your suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> send us your suggestions. You know where to hit us up. The Facebook group is continuing to jump off. We're almost at a hundred members in the group. I think that is so dope. I love the energy on the Facebook group. Uh, hit us up on Twitter with your suggestions for whatever. And um, you know, yeah, rate and, and, and subscribe to our podcast. We love you guys so much. I want to give one more last shout out to Angel. You are awesome. That is forever hanging up in the pod loft. We will have a picture of, of your beautiful fan art. And, um, yeah, the P.O. Box is um, still up on the Facebook group, I believe. Maybe, friend, if you want to maybe do another post, okay. just to throw another post up there All so right. it's back in the on the timeline yeah. of what the P.O. Box number also, is. Also, if you do say anything, put it in my name, my last, my name, because yes, it arrogant, will get sent so, back if yes. y'all don't. Yes, Fran is arrogant, so he needs everything sent to him. His technical name, even though he is Fran Star in the podcast, his name is Francel. So do not do not uh, license it to Fran Star. You're gonna have everybody at his job looking at him crazy because they're gonna think that he is a uh, um, self-absorbed asshole, <laughs> which we know that he's not. He just wants to be called Fran Star. Anyway, um, this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Fran Stowe Evans. Catch y'all next time. Later. Jesus. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.